You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, what's up, Surf Splendor podcast listeners? This is your host, David Scales. Welcome back to another show. And uh, thanks for tuning in last week to the Tom Carroll episode. Good feedback on that. What a rad dude Tom Carroll is and unbelievable surfer. I I mean, I I was kind of thinking about it after the fact. Probably among maybe the top five, I mean, certainly top 10, but maybe top five, six or seven surfers uh, ever in the world, I would say, in terms of ability and importance to the sport, just an all-around radical dude. So that's really rad and uh, glad to be able to share that with you. And then today, of course, we're bringing you an episode of Surf News. So look forward to that. Uh, the few orders of business I have really just have to do with um, engaging with us either on social media or on our website at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Everything that we talk about in this episode will be available on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Hope that you're enjoying the Bells Beach event. I'm watching Heat 2 right now. Adriana DeSouza is out in the lead. So looks like it's going to be a pretty lackluster event based on the swell forecast. So the WSL is off to a rough start between Snapper and this and then going into Margaret's, which even at its best isn't really that great. Unless they run it at the box, that could be rad. So we'll just have to see how the rest of the year shakes out. But there's been some unbelievable surfing, of course, as we've discussed on this show. So that's about it. Without further ado, I will uh, pitch to my conversation with Scott Bass, and I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. All right? Thanks for listening. Yeah, guy, welcome everybody down the line, Surf Talk Radio. This, the cure, this is probably like right in your wheelhouse, huh? Uh, It is, it's not like in the center of my wheelhouse, it's in the periphery. (laughs) I'm appreciative. Yeah. It's not my style, like, I don't know any albums. Seems like your time friend. Yeah, it is. I don't own any albums, but it's definitely, uh, I, I dig it. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not an album owner either. Don't I, like to support the, support the music community, Scott. No, no, God! Immediately, you're just you're just starting off with them. Send him <laughs> tweets. It's at Boardroom Show. He hates <laughs> musicians and does not purchase anything. <laughs> oh my God! <clears throat> I'm a big fan of musicians. Of course you are. Um, Speaking of which, yeah, what's going on with the guitar building for the Boardroom Show? Uh, you know the guitar building is going great. We've okay. got, I've got a, two or three tables of guitar builders that are going to be there that are surfers. Um, Andy Powers, who builds guitars for Taylor Guitar. Okay. And he um, he's had a feature in the Surfers Journal. Okay. And um, Pepe Romero Jr., who builds ukuleles and guitars and okay. has famous, um, you know, players of his instruments include mm-hmm. um, Jack Johnson. And those 
Gavin Bashan and those guys. Yeah. And then um, quite a few other guys, you know. Okay. Some hobbyists, some guitar guys, some friends of mine that just build guitars in their garage. I like the idea of including them in the boardroom show. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. That's actually the stuff I get really geeked on because it's new. Yeah. You know. The luthiers. Luthiers. When you is your dad going to be there? Uh, I'll invite him to come. Isn't he a sure. luthier? He is. Yeah. Yeah. Not professionally, but just no, but, hobbyist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he can bring a guitar in if he wants. He's yeah. more than welcome. I'd well, love to have him. It's funny. Um, you introduced that word in your introduction video for the boardroom show. You reference luthiers. And then I had never heard that word before, and I tried to reuse it with my dad, but mistakenly used the word Lothario instead, which is like a Shakespeare character that was like a, you know, Romeo or Casanova, basically. Lothario, where art thou? Yeah, and then exactly, and then immediately realized, I'm like, I don't think that's the word Scott used, and had to do some research, but... At any rate, I'm 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 hip to that whole thing, dude. How are my levels? Are my levels good? You're good, dude. Technically, we're sound. Well, it is March third, or excuse me, March thirty first. Thirty first. It's the last day of March, twenty fifteen, and it's a Tuesday, and we're here in San Diego County. Plenty of south swell in the water. Yeah, have you been surfing? Yeah. I know. I'm kind of surfed out. Are you? A little bit. I was wondering if you're going to try to get out of doing this today, so you can go surf instead. Um, well, you're on to me. That's normally my MO, isn't it? But, um, here, I'll show you a little, here's a picture of me. Where do you get these photos, dude? Just random friends that are shooting photos on the beach? Yeah, this guy was shooting photos on the beach. Nice. Anyway, I'm boring, I'm boring listeners by showing David pictures of me surfing. The thing is this swell, oh, Scott getting shacked. A little shackage. A little shackage. Where is that? That's at a place called Malcolm's. Okay. You throwing me smoke screen? Oh, slam, dude. Little, uh, no, that's you... actually the name of the spot, but it's only known. Oh, okay. goes by that name by people who know. Okay. there's a guy it. named Malcolm who used to surf there all the time in the 60s. Got it. So are you going to post these on downthelineradio.com or what? Um, I may. My vanity's been known to get the better of me. So, yes, I will. I'll post massive posters, and you'll be able to... I'll give them away. In fact, I'll pay you to take them and put them on your bedroom wall. <laughs> you may have to. Looks like Surfline's getting promotion, too, from those. They got their yeah. logo plastered on the front. Um, so, Scott's getting shacked on a little right. He's regular foot. So, front side barrel on the first one, and then doing a nice off-the-top, kind of a lean-back almost slam. That's as vertical as I get right there, and that was right around 9 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were coming down from it. so I just remember seeing it going, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna get real vertical here, and then you see the picture, and I'm like, here, you know? In your mind, you thought yeah, in my mind, like I thought it was throwing it straight up. Yeah, you know? that's funny. What are you writing in that photo? Uh, 5'9", Wayne Lynch model called the B-Dog. And it's um, Lynch f- or Rich? Oh, I'm sorry, Wayne Rich. And it's a four, it's a four fin. Scott, wow, it's horrible pod, dude. That was bad pod. By the way, a listener <laughs> commented on SurfSplendorPodcast.com at some Uh-oh. point that you sound exactly like Nick Cage. Who's he? Nicholas Cage, oh, the Nick, actor. Oh, he was Nicholas in. Cage? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's not good. I know. I was gonna. Bring, I don't want anything to do with Nicolas Cage. The I was actor. gonna dig up a Moonstruck clip and like play it, and then ask you to like say the exact line from Moonstruck to recreate. Well, I have a 
quite a few friends who are convinced that the guy who's on that show, Treehouse Builders or Treehouse Masters or something, I don't I've know. I've never seen it. Yeah, I haven't either. They're like, that guy's just like you. Really? I'm like, whatever. But his personality or he looks? I don't know. Like his mannerisms and his movements. And, oh, know. sounds like a cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are smooth. Um, well, let's just do some follow-up. You know, last week's or two weeks ago, we did a show basically kind of WSL dramas, World Surf League dramas with Gabby Medina and the fining and mm-hmm. of Gabby after his F bomb and um, some and the other stuff that we brought up that a listener sent us that information on Jonathan Marshall and and sort of some backstory on who the WSL is and who runs them and what they do. Pretty scandalous stuff. It was, and and I got an email from a listener. He says, "Hey Scott, I, I'm a frequent listener." I've actually emailed you once or twice in the past about the program with constructive criticism. Anyway, I'm a friend of Jonathan Marshall. And Jonathan's the guy that we referenced a couple weeks ago. He's the lawyer for the WSL. I'm a friend of Jonathan Marshall. I thought you were a bit unfair in your last podcast. I'm not too familiar with Jonathan's time at RKO or at the shooting gallery, but I can tell you as his friend and as someone that has worked with him, that he's a good guy with good intentions. And as a lifelong surfer and a fan of the WSL and professional surfing, I can tell you that he's good for the WSL for what it's worth. Owen. Succinct to the point. Yeah. And I said, hey, I sent him back an email saying, hey, Owen, unreal. You know what? Um, we'd love to get Jonathan on the on the show. Uh, you know, maybe I was unfair. Maybe we were unfair. I'm sh- I, I think part of our frustration is sort of the lack of transparency with the WSL and their, their inability to, to kind of get back to anybody regarding who they are, what's yeah. happening, what's going on with the fines. So uh, maybe some of that unjustness comes from a little bit of frustration on my part or perhaps your part as well, David. But, um, well, I was here, like, hey, man, bring him on. You know, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'd love to meet him. We'd, he's, the door's open for Jonathan to come on the show anytime. We'd love to have him. Here's what happens. These new people, these new owners get involved with surfing. We've never heard their names before, so you do a Google search to find out who are these people that are holding the reins, and the Google search only returns negative content. And so, well, no, I mean, that's not necessarily, I I don't mean to like slander. I'm just saying like, those are the things that came up and you're um, just reporting the news of what came up, you know? And so, well, it was sent to us, but then you reach out to these people and ask and they're, it's radio silence. Right. So I don't want to read the bad news necessarily, but you guys don't give us anything else to go by. So let's just report what's out there basically. And we're not. We're not journalists, and we're not doing like really accurate reporting, anyways. But that's kind of what happens. Yeah, this show, if anything, it's the character is sort of like water cooler fodder. You know, David totally. and I just get together unprepared and start riffing, and um, yeah, and the you know the irony, I guess, there is that when we do actually do some research and some reporting, we get really good response from the listeners. That's true. So yeah, uh, I got another email. It says, "Hey, Scott." I found the Surf Splendor podcast awesome listening. I like your matter-of-fact takes on the tour. You pretty much call it like it is. Sometimes reality is tough to hear, but true. About half of the tour is not worth watching, and only about 25% actually drive sales for brands, at at least here in Southern California. I told the same deal to the WSL principals about developing the personalities of the surfers, tell their stories, so I might care about watching. 
I have heard the exact same thing repeated a bunch of times. And you can blame the brands or blame the tour. Either way, it's just not happening. And I'm still a total surf fan. Sadly, my 14- and 16-year-old surf groms are not as much fans. So that tells me the WSL and pro surfing are for sure missing the point. Or it, or it is hard to compete for kids' attention these days, one or the other. Anyway, keep the shows coming. Always entertaining. And a great listen, Gary Clisby. Love the opening line of that email. I know. I, I knew you would. <laughs> I sent him. I'm sure you saw. I sent back a link to down the line radio. I did see that. So um, we should always reset because I get periodic comments asking about the what are the names of the show and what's going on here. The story is that Scott's been doing down the line radio since 2005. He's the uh, pioneer of podcasting in the surf world. I got into it. David Scales. Uh, about two years ago under the moniker Surf Splendor, which is like interviewing people in the surf industry. But then I wanted to incorporate a news style show every other week. And Scott had recently um, kind of parted ways with a co-host, I guess. And so Scott was doing down the line radio on his own. I reached out to Scott and just said, hey, man, I want to do a surf news podcast and you need a co-host. Let's see how this works. We got together. It's been working ever since. But we've never really discussed how if we call it one thing or the other. So we both record it and we both uh, simulcast it, basically the same exact show. So Scott posted on Down the Line Radio. I post my version of it on Surf Splendor Podcast and they coexist because there's no revenue stream. There's no real reason to like figure out what we're doing. We just kind of the more listeners, the better. Doesn't matter. I don't mind if people are listening to it via your platform or mine. It makes no difference to me. Um, what do you think? I just realized we're kind of we're like dating, <laughs> and, and if we ever have a kid, we'll have to get married. That's kind of how it is. But what religion do we raise it? Oh my god! There's a lot of tough conversations in the future. The kid would be the revenues, right? As soon as we make exactly. revenues, we're gonna have to get married exactly. on some level, but. So it's a confusing thing for the listener, maybe who's a new listener, but that's the genesis of it. Um, well, I've, I've, I think our last show was, must've been a good one because I got more emails than I've ever received. And yeah. I'm not sure if you, you got a bunch too. People like scandal. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they do. Well, um, certainly I've got a little bit of that. You know, I've, I used to have a, a segment on the show called Travis Sham Mockery, which is a combination of a travesty, a sham and a mockery, right? A Travis Sham Mockery after the famous Bud Light commercial. Mm-hmm. And so I'm bringing that back. I have a Travis Sham Mockery this week and, um, and I know you'll be able to come up with some Travis Sham mockeries as we pr- proceed here down the, you the rest usually, of the year. You usually add the word gate to all of your scandal things. You That's know? true. So, Travis Sham mockery gate. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we do have is uh, Rip Curl Pro Bell's Beach Gate. Uh, but I don't know if there's that much gate or scandal to it. But, um, you know, it's, it starts today. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the 2nd of April or no, the 1st of April over there in Australia. It's early in the morning. So in about six hours or so, it may or may not start, depending on swell. But um, I was sort of interested in your question. You know, from a fantasy uh, surfer perspective, I think that this is probably the hardest event to handicap because, one, it's early in the season, so we don't really have a feel for sort of who's on fire. Certainly, Philippe Toledo surprised a lot of us, I guess you could say. And um, for the second reason, Bells is just a hard wave to figure out. It's a hard wave to, to surf, to handicap, to know you know, even if you think the guy's on fire, he's got to go to Bells and surf. You know, as Parco sort of put it really interestingly, um, 
this week, I think on Surfline or something, that it's the fastest, slowest wave on tour or it's the slowest, fastest wave on tour, one of those. Sure. So it's hard for the surfers themselves to figure out. So for that reason, it's difficult to pick a solid uh, team on the fantasy surfer side of things. So I, I guess my question to you is, how many Brazilians do you have on your fantasy surfer team as we start event number two? I think I have two. Adriano de Souza, who is strictly a stats play. Yeah. Like I did not pick him because of passion. I picked him because he I think he made he finaled there or he won, won it. it. He won, won it two it. years ago against Nat yeah. Young in the final. And um he shows up early, he stays late every season, puts in the hard hours to figure out the wave. So Adriano's on my team. I actually traded out Jordy for Adriano, which was hard to do. But Jordy constantly underperforms. Adriano constantly overperforms. That was the swap. And then Wiggly Dantes, goofy footer who's just kind of a wild card pick, but I, you know. Yeah, interesting, you know, the the, the one uh, obvious Brazilian that's missing there is Gabe Medina, and, and he's sort of an interesting guy to look at as we go into this event because – one, he got fined for what happened at Snapper Rocks. We don't know how much he got fined. Right. But you got to figure some people were going, hey, maybe he should be suspended for a few events. Now, can you imagine if the WSL suspended Gabe Medina going into Rip Curl Bells? Rip Curl's his main sponsor. They've got Gabe Medina billboards down there in Torquay. And um, there would be an uproar, first and foremost, probably from Claw and Neil Ridgway, the two guys that sort of run Rip Curl down there. That, can you? I mean, what was that meeting like? You know, when they said, "Well, should we fine or suspend?" And they, can you just imagine the wheels yeah. turning at the WSL where they're going, "Well, we can't suspend him because we're coming under the Rip Curl Pro Bell's Beach. He's our world champion, and he yeah. did crappy in the first event. And to pull this one out from under him and his sponsors, it would just be the death knell." Yeah, because I don't think that you know. I've heard through the grapevine that that you know, basically what I've heard through the grapevine is that Paul Speaker in the WSL sort of like a bull in a china shop and he just went into owning this new surf league kind of thinking he could push things around and push people around and and it just doesn't happen that way you know right. and especially with claw and the bell's beach event so anyway um my point is is that gabe's certainly an interesting character on a fan from a fantasy perspective because you're expecting a bounce back and it's sort of like as, yeah. as his home break could be for be, being in Australia because it's it's Rip Curl town. Yeah, and, but and, it, it's not. I mean, it is in terms of sponsorship, but not in terms of the style of his surfing. You know, it's not his home his home event in that respect. Like uh, he's done well on his backside. He obviously obviously won Snapper last year, but that's not his bread and butter. And the other thing is, it's a slopey wave that's difficult to kind of get out into the air on. Even though we've seen Kelly and John John do it, um, so I, I think if you're going to pick a wave that Gabriel is going to not do well at throughout the entire season, I would probably pick Bells and maybe Margarets. You know? Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, that those, that makes sense. I mean. Um... And then the other the other great one that I think that you mentioned was Wiggly Dantas, right? So from a Brazilian standpoint, ADS makes tons of sense. And tell me a little bit about Wiggly Dantas. Do you just feel that he's that he's got some fire under him? I need a goofy footer, and I couldn't afford to spend a ton of money on that. He's, he's that, a value. He's like five million or something. And I bought him, I think, prior to Snapper, so I got him for cheaper, maybe. Yeah. But. Uh, Nat Young made the final at Bells a couple years back. I'm saying Wiggly Dantas is the new improved Nat Young. His approach is very similar, similar to Freddie P. And I think that style 
suits Bells really well. You know, kind of Aki's approach, I guess, is similar to it. Um, so it's kind of a value pick for me, but also I don't think he's going to win the event, but I think he'll make it through past round three. You know, he'll be in round four, round five. Guys. Yeah, and and I have Wiggly as well. And from a goofy foot standpoint, um, I, th- I like Matt Wilkinson in this event. Uh, he's done well here in the past. He's a rip curl guy. He know he's an Australian. He knows the spot. He served pretty well at snapper. Um, Here's the problem with Wilco is that he does great in one event a season, and that, that was already snapper. happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. His record shows. He, you know, it's on. all downhill from this point on. He's, he's so, partying. He's I hate. Good. I hate. I hate to say that, but it's true. He's like Wilco. I qualified at twenty five. I'm yeah, good for the year. Exactly. <laughs> Well, the Surfline forecast, um, they're calling for some chest-to-head-high waves today as the event may run. And then um, nothing too spectacular. You know, the Surfline forecast basically saying um, modest swell on the horizon, nothing that's going to blow you away, but hopefully uh, it'll be contestable and surfable. Man, but honestly, modest swell at Bells is a lot more grueling than modest swell at Snapper. Like, we can see rad surfing from Felipe Toledo at Snapper, it's not that exciting to watch modest swell at Bells, no matter who's in the water. You know, Nick Carroll mentioned in his Surfline piece that, you know, Joanna, that beach break just 25 minutes away is a good call. Yeah. If they do have to move the event, um, certainly punchy. And that changes everything from a fantasy surfer standpoint. So. What are your thoughts on Felipe Toledo coming off his big win, tons of hype going into Bells? I sense sort of like a sophomoric letdown here. You know, he's, he's, on, a, he's on a high... Um, I don't think this wave fits his style. No. And so um, I just don't see it. I don't I see think it at all. I see him going down early. I agree. Round fast. round three loss. Round two, round three loss. Yeah. Um, Maurice Cole was talking about how important boards are at Bells, having the right equipment, something that Adriano's worked on. But the guys who have won the event, Mick Fanning, Parco, Slater, those guys have quivers that they've refined over years specifically for Bells. I don't see Felipe having put that amount of work into Bells. Um, certainly not in regards to his quiver. The board that he's worked on was Sharp Eye, you know, I for, the Holy Toledo model or whatever. Um, yeah, Holy high, Toledo, yeah. High-performance short board for doing airs at beach breaks, basically, and lowers and that sort of thing. I mean, it's the exact opposite of what you need at Bells. His approach is the exact opposite of what you need. He hasn't actually put in the time surfing at Bells, really, at all. I, I don't... If he did well at Bells, it would be amazing and a feat strictly of his talent, you know? Yeah, and, you know, speaking of boards, of course, um, all eyes are sort of on Kelly and what he's going to ride. There's been a lot of chatter online about the announcement of of the purchase of Firewire surfboards that Kelly will be a majority stakeholder there. And so what does that mean for him in the water? Is he going to be on a Tomo? Is he going to be on a Channel Islands? Is he going to be on a Pizel? Is he going to be on just a Firewire a lot of um, speculation. I guess we'll find out later this afternoon. I guess it's exciting, though. Um, uh, speaking of kind of fantasy and bells, we started our uh, PayPal Fantasy Surf Club wager pool that people can contribute to if they want. And um, we can't accept bids now that the events actually started, but we did get a handful. I've got probably 20 plus or minus for the men maybe 10 plus or minus for the women wagers. So you're looking at a couple hundred bucks if you win the event that we'll be able to send you out of this pool. Cool. Yeah. That sounds like good stuff. Scott contributed. I did. To the men. I'm in. 
To the men? Yeah, to the men only. <laughs> I'm not contributing to the women. I just don't follow. What's funny is I follow women's golf. I'm totally into women's yeah. golf. But I, I just not into. I mean, I enjoy women's professional surfing, but I'm not going to bet on it. All right. What else do you got? Uh, in relation to bells? Or, or just anything. Because um, I, I thought go, it was I funny. I can go off of bells now. I, I thought it was funny that um, the WSL World surfleague.com posted a story about Kelly Slater uh, purchasing Firewire and getting involved with Firewire, which is different than what they normally publish. Like they publish stuff that's related to competitive surfing. And occasionally they'll try to do a little human interest piece about CJ Hobgood recovering from an injury or something. But they made a gen- uh, an attempt at a news story, you know, only it was a month behind the actual news itself. Like we kind of told the story, Beach Grit, other websites told the story. And then um, they made an attempt at the story and they did not reveal anything new other than just Kelly Slater is rumored to be purchasing a majority interest in Firewire. They must have listened to our show. I guess so, yeah. (laughs) By the way, I got an email back from Dave Proden. So I got to give a shout out to Dave Proden. He actually sent me a return, a reply email regarding something I sent him about I don't know, a few episodes ago, I was talking about how they need to get on the fantasy sports bandwagon because um, it's yeah. grown the NBA right, right. Um, viewership. What did, what did he say? He just said, hey, sorry, this reply took so long. Thanks for the info. I'll send it along. Okay. Yeah, obviously, he was catching up on his emails and he sure. just like powered out. He probably cut and paste his response to everybody the same. So I'll get a text message from you and then check – all of a sudden Twitter starts blowing up. I'm like, oh, Scott Bass retweeted three things and tweeted two new things. And then I'll get three emails from you within like a five-minute period, but then nothing for a week. And then the same thing will happen next week. I'm like, clearly Scott got a few hours on his hand to catch up on his emails. <laughs> it's the same exact thing. I'm not making fun. No, no comment. No comment. Well, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm no, just pointing I, out it's yeah. funny. Um, go ahead. Shark buoy. Shark buoy design, dude. Each buoy has a sonar system inside it that generates images of the ocean and the aquatic life surrounding it. I can tell you're disgusted by me bringing this up, but too bad you're going to listen to it. I have no idea what you're talking about. If a big fish like a shark swims by, the sonar sends a signal to a satellite, which in turn sends alerts to nearby lifeguards. These buoys are being designed and implemented, and they're going to be put into the ocean soon. The device uses algorithms to verify objects, much like face recognition, but with swimming technique and shape instead. Dolphins and other sea mammals have different ways of swimming and won't be flagged by the buoy. The project was developed by Shark Attack Mitigation Systems, a company that also develops shark deterrent print patterns for wetsuits. My question to you, David Lee Scales, Mm -hmm. you're surfing in Australia or Northern California or South Africa. Would you rather have shark nets? Or a shark buoy? I'm becoming a pretty big believer in robot technology. I think that they are like this sort of the robot being able to identify the, you know, they have an algorithm and they can identify the way that the shark surfs or swims and that that is a shark versus a big fish. I think that's probably more accurate and efficient than the net. Sharks have obviously found their way through and around nets. You're wrong, sir. I'm advocating for the buoy. (laughs) The correct answer is both. I want shark nets and a buoy. Oh, dude, I didn't know there was a C option. Yeah. Well, no, but um, no, I've never heard of this before. You're the one telling it to me. But honestly, I think that sounds like it has a lot of potential. Yeah. I'm a fan. Yeah. Shark buoys. Cool. Why not? 
right? Exactly. It doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't harm the environment, no downside. Um, so did you see that Kelly Slater optioned the rights to tie stick? I did. You tagged me, I think, in his Instagram. Yeah, I was kind of blown away by it. Um, uh, first of all, I love that Kelly drops all of his biggest news on Instagram. There's no press release that goes out. There's no like careful, carefully public relations curated way to divulge this information. He just hits Instagram with like a 400 word essay about what he's doing, you know, perps or whatever it is. Um, but Thai Stick is a book that's about marijuana trade kind of in Indonesia in the 60s and 70s, smuggling through surfers, um, surf culture, marijuana smuggling, all that sort of thing. Have you read the book? I have not. I want to. I was intrigued by this right away. It was just so out of left field. It wasn't, though. Um, he pup posted a photo of the book probably a year ago, and I bought the book at that time. And then I reached out to Peter McGuire, the author, about coming on the show. And he replied, and he was totally keen, but he lives in North Carolina. So it's like, next time I'm in California, we'll get together and like review the book and talk about it and all that sort of thing. Uh, but that was probably six months ago, and it hasn't come together yet. And so, um, yeah, so now Kelly posted. Well, you know, for me, it was left field. I had no idea that that he was interested or knew the book or was reading it or whatever. But um, what I found interesting about it is at first I I sort of took it on face value like, oh, okay, this is a cool story. And Kelly and Kelly read it and he liked it. But it's really as I as I start to learn more about it and and follow Kelly's um, thoughts on it. It's really about, you know, what's happening with uh, marijuana legislation in the United States, how a lot, many states are adopting it, how obviously Kelly is, I'm assuming, you know, sees a lot of um, upside to marijuana as a, from a medicinal use and even as a revenue source. And if you look at our founding fathers and, and hemp itself as a fabric and a, I just found it, you know, I just think it's really neat that Kelly continually pursues things that might not be the best business sense, mm-hmm. but that come from his heart. Like he's really just throws it in. He throws his heart out there, you yeah. know, and you might be going, oh, okay, well, good luck with that. Probably not going to make a lot of money. Maybe you will, but it has nothing to do with that. It's more about him really just kind of pushing his values. And he's like, this is something I believe in. So sure. I'm doing it. If it makes money, fine. If it doesn't fine, it's a great story. You should check it out. And I'm looking forward to, to doing this movie. Yeah. So he purchased the rights to the book and he said they've begun work on a documentary film and several parties are interested in making an episodic TV series about it. Um, he said, this is a history they certainly don't teach you in school, but an important and significant cultural phenomenon that occurred mostly undocumented. It took a professional historian and former drug smuggler 15 years to complete. And it is based on thousands of hours of interviews. Um, there's cameos in the book by Timothy Leary and even Richard Nixon. Kelly also says that with the current atmosphere around marijuana legalization and the connected topics, it seems timely to bring this topic to li- or this story to life. It's this in no way condones drug use or dealing of any sort, but it does bring into question inconsistencies around drug laws and philosophical questions about personal choice and outlawing nature, unquote. Yeah, that was the part that got me. When I read that, I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. You know? Yeah. A few days ago, David, a surfer made a grisly discovery on the Gold Coast in Australia. I don't know if you heard about this. It was a ghostly head dip. What? Yeah, a ghostly head dip. 
Grizzly discovery on the Gold Coast in Australia, this man pulled out a human head from the sea, sparking a massive search for the missing body that goes along with this head. The surfer made the discovery while swimming back to his board after riding a wave at the Palm Beach Southern Gold Coast area, said Senior Sergeant of Gold Coast Water Patrol Gavin Peachy. As he's swimming back to his surfboard to recover his surfboard, in the waves, he felt something on his leg. He reached down, grabbed it, pulled it to the surface, and it was a human head. Wow. That's what he believes. There's nothing to confirm that at the moment. He oh. immediately let go of it, obviously got a fright, and swum to the shore. The, dis- the surfer described the head as, a- as that of a man in his 20s with dark hair. What? So he doesn't have the head. He dropped it. What? <laughs> but but that's not something by the way this happened at like six in the morning so he, he must have caught two waves pulled a head up dropped it swam in yeah got the lifeguards involved like i don't think this is made up story <laughs> this is this is too good to be true yeah well i mean unless the guy's you know been on a bender all night and then went surfing at 6 a.m that's how that that, those like are the only times people find heads in the water. Personal um, experience. No, not at all. But uh, that, I mean, you're right. I guess that's exactly how I would react if I found a head. I probably wouldn't tuck it under my arm like a football and, you know, carry it up the beach and be like, hey, guys, how's it going? Have you seen the nearest <laughs> lifeguard? Um, but at the same time, I need more. I need a little bit more evidence about this guy and what his backstory is before I can fully buy into the story. All right. It is ghostly, though. By the way, speaking of finding human body parts in the ocean, did you see that documentary that was on HBO called The Jinx? No. Okay. This thing was the best television I've ever watched, probably. Uh, Right up there with The Sopranos or something. It's a real-life story about this multi you know this oh, yeah, super okay. wealthy this dude from new guy. york right. his name's robert durst his yeah. his story's been covered. i followed this yeah yeah it's been covered they made a hollywood movie about it the guy that made the hollywood movie about it then made this six-part documentary for hbo about it called the jinx the life and times of robert durst or something um well anyways it starts out the the episode one the beginning of the episode starts out with this kid fishing in Florida, and he finds these body parts um, basically washing along the shore. They find all of it except the head, and the, the head has never been recovered. But it's ultimately this neighbor of Robert Durst who got dismembered by Robert Durst. Robert Durst went to trial about it, admitted to it, but claimed self-defense and got off and never had to do any time because you know it was out of self-defense but he self-defense he dismembered it exactly that's lame why didn't he just he had this amazing law team because yeah because his family's from old money real estate from new york city right just like mega manhattan millions yeah exactly but it goes on his ex-wife was miss his ex-wife or his wife who uh went missing back in the 70s that uh you know, was her body was never found. Nobody was ever prosecuted for that. So they're kind of analyzing that story. Then his best friend ends up going missing in L.A. a few years later. So there's these three death scenarios that surround Robert. He's claiming that he's jinxed and these bad things always happen to him and the ones that he loves. Um, spoiler alert, the end of the documentary, it's been reported, yeah, so I'm been, not spoiling it. It's been it. pretty widely reported. So end of the documentary, they're doing this final interview where they find this really damning evidence. The documentary filmmakers find this evidence. The, the detectives don't find it. The documentary filmmakers find it. They call him back for another interview 
like, hey, man, we've been making this movie for two years. We've done all the editing. We want you to come back and sit and do this final exit interview. And they present him with this evidence. Robert really... What's the evidence? The evidence is when he killed the third, allegedly the third person, his best friend in L.A., he sent a note to the detectives saying there's a dead body in this house. Go check it out. Well... They found another note that he had written to that person when they were friends. Oh, the Beverly Hills in the same script. I saw that. The Beverly Hills, the handwriting matches identically. Beverly Hills is misspelled. It's like a carbon copy, the the killer's letter that he sent to the detectives and this letter that Robert sent to this other person. It's carbon copy. So they present him with this letter and they're like, hey, we found this in your personal effects. How do you explain this? And, yeah, Spelling of Beverly Hills, misspelled, same script, same right. handwriting. So Robert has no explanation. And they basically call the, inter- they finish the interview, shut off the lights, all that sort of thing. Robert's mic is still on and he goes into the restroom before he leaves and he's mumbling to himself. And in his mumblings, he says, um, God, you've really done it now, Robert. God, he's really got you. And then he goes, "I killed all yeah, three. Yeah, what did what did you do? I killed them all. Yeah, and that's how the thing ends. Six parts. That's the last scene Rad. of the thing. It's like and as a documentary go- filmmaker, you're just like you just hit the gnarliest home run of your life. You could like, not have asked yeah. for more. And he actually, um, I think, prior to that last episode being. Uh, released on HBO they arrested him in New Orleans where he was living at the time with this newfound evidence they're kind of reopening the case and um, and he's in jail currently and they're going to prosecute but well I, I heard his lawyer basically say if that's all they got let's go right now I'm, I don't even need to prepare yeah. let's just go to court I, I can kick the shit out of this you know like sure. no problem sure well we'll see how it yeah. all unfolds I mean the guy there's no doubt in my mind this guy killed all three people. It's totally, you know, insane. So anyways, that has nothing to do with surfing, but has to do with dismemberment. Yeah. Well, a morbid theme in today's show. Yeah, floating bodies. Speaking of uh, floating bodies, I have here an interesting report that I found. About Quicksilver? No, <laughs> no. But I, I, I didn't go there. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell that one then. Um. What do you say about taking a surf trip with two Playboy Playmates? You, David Lee Scales, can go on a mystical Maldive surf adventure with Playboy cover girl Johnny Honoshied and Playmate of the Year Sylvie Bodie. Both of these Playmates surf. Okay. And there's video of them surfing, and they're not that bad. They're as good. As they could be at Bell's this week surfing. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sylvie and Johnny love to travel. They surf new waves. They want to meet new people and experience and inspire and live outside of the comfort zone. They invite like-minded people like you, David Scales, to join them aboard the Hayara for the experience of a lifetime. The Hayara Surf Charter is large, comfortable, and spacious. Johnny and Sylvie are incredibly attractive, empowered, brave, and adventurous models and surfers. Join the, join, the, I love, join them on the boat for two weeks in the Maldives. My question what, to you. Yes. My question to you, friend, my friend, is would a surf trip with two Playboy Playmates make sense to you? Uh, yes, for a million reasons. If I that was is not, the wrong <laughs> answer. If I wasn't married, yes. Thank you. Um, no, it doesn't make sense to me personally. But uh, here... Remember when being a playmate used to be like, 
like it was something. I've never been a playmate. So no, but like know. back in the seventies, it was like if you were playmate, you beat out thousands of other entries, and like that was some, you were a celebrity. That was your entree into right. like movies and Hollywood. Now it's like playmate so and so and so and so who nobody has ever heard of ever. There's Instagram celebrities that are more famous than playmate yeah. cover. What like I don't That's even know. True. You know what I mean? Like who cares? There's a million hot chicks. Welcome to Southern California. They're a dime a dozen. You know. Um, so what's the price? It's, 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 <laughs> Let's get it's to the pre- nuts and bolts because I want to know. It's pretty reasonable. I think it's it's seventeen hundred dollars plus airfare. Wait a second. But sec. I don't think it's U.S. dollars. I think it's pounds. So I think it's probably more like around three grand. It would cost plus. that much to do the trip there anyway. I know. Why not just be on a boat too? So hotties. they're just coming along for the, for the fun. They of it? surf. They're I'd like rather, good surfers. I'm telling you. I'd rather go there with them than. You or any of my other friends. <laughs> See, that's really the, the that's at the heart of the question. Like, yeah. I, I don't think you would. I think at some point you'd be like, I'd rather be hanging with my bros because I'm married and I'm not going to try to, you know, like that's not my angle anyways to like hook up with these chicks because it would be awkward anyway. And, yeah, well, that's you know what I mean. Let's, like, let's like, play in the fantasy, fantasy of it is is like kind of silly. You know, like like reality is I'd rather be surfing with my bros almost. You know. Yeah, my bros will battle me for waves though. Dude, these chicks I want to pull rank on these chicks. But these, no, these, these chicks, you will just be like, going, no, you go. No, 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 you go. <laughs> Let me follow behind. <laughs> uh, uh, man, you got some hard-hitting news stories this I, week, you Scott. Know what? I just feel like we did so much like pro-surfing stuff that I wanted to go outside the you box got, here. Got your hand slapped a little bit? No, no, not at all. I just felt like it's good for the show to kind of yeah, change it, it up. It is. Um, this particular story would do better with visuals, I'm afraid, though. Oh, the the models. Yeah, yeah. This Go check like, them out, man. I'm this would be just, a good story. For just a, Google, you know, surfing playmates. Um, why don't all we just dives. post a link to it on surfsportpodcast.com? Well, we I watched the video today, and and, and there's last some good, night there's and some, the night before. There's some good follow behind shots. Let me just say that. I just want to be the photographer on that trip. You know? When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. <laughs> um, so here's a hard-hitting news story. Andy Mooney, yes. CEO of Quicksilver, gets the boot. Yeah, and the CFO resigned, right? And, and their, the CFO. Their stock is at like a buck forty or a buck ninety or something like that. Took a thirteen percent dive with this news on Friday. Uh, basically, last Friday, Andy Mooney was let go uh, as CEO from Quicksilver. Pierre Agnes, who's been in France with the company for twenty five years, is taking over as CEO. Bob McKnight will actually take Mooney's role as chairman, which is good to see. Um, Thomas Shambol, I don't know, but he replaces Richard Shields as the CFO. The stock dropped 13%, as I mentioned, um, on Friday with this news, but it's actually down 73% since Mooney took the reins in 2013. This is pretty gnarly. This is kind of like last-ditch effort. Let's get salt back in the business. Let's get real surfers involved, both Pierre and Bob. Bob was retired. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he's back. And so you got to figure... Retired from CEO. Well, yeah. Okay. Maybe he was on the board, but he wasn't on the board, right? I'm not sure. Whatever. Yeah, go ahead. for For them to like throw these two salty surfers back into the picture and put out a press release like... It's kind of like we've got to save it. Like it's the vibe I get is it's now or never. And yeah. what we're going to do is go back to our roots. And Pierre's a hardcore surfer. Bob's a hardcore surfer. Let's get some salt back in the building. You know, enough of these NBA guys from Dartmouth who think they can run the show. These guys are lame. You know, they, and, and so I, I sort of see it as God, I hope it works out for him. You know, I want it to work out for Quicksilver. It does feel like. If it doesn't work out, what's your next option? Because you tried this, you tried the NBA guys. Now you brought back in the the you know the original type of salty surf cat guys that yeah. are also quite smart. If that doesn't work, what's next? You know, well, sell the whole thing. Just sell the whole thing. Right. So um, Andy Mooney is not a surfer. He worked for Disney, and they brought him on to kind of tighten the belt basically and i'm wondering if they kind of brought him on knowing that they might dispose of him later because he had some pretty fancy payout packages where he was going to make out no matter what this two years of his life he could be the bad guy and they could and it'll be worth it to him so um during that time they brought him on he almost immediately fired 250 employees team riders team riders and employees yeah um like guys who had been with the company for 20 years, you yeah. know, like important people at Quicksilver, um, lifers. He cut all of the exterior brands like Quicksilver Women's, Dane Reynolds brand, Summer Teeth, Kelly Slater's brand, VSTR, DC Surf they cut, which was a huge division, and limited it strictly to Quicksilver and Roxy. So he really just tightened all the belts. But the problem is, is that two years later, yeah, you tightened all of our expenses, but the stock's still down 73%. We're not showing the type of profitability that we wanted to show. Basically, all the financial analysts say this company is run really poorly and inefficiently. There's a lot of holes in the foundation that it's a relatively established company. These holes shouldn't be there in a relatively established company. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there was also an internal investigation going on into their 
accounting practices. Right. So there was some other stuff going on. And with this stuff, they basically then followed it up with, oh, we're letting the CEO go and the CFO go. So I don't know what they well, found. They, they delayed their quarter report based on these internal audits that were going on. And some of the financial analysts are calling BS on that. Like, right. The only reason they didn't put out their Q1 report is because they were embarrassed by it. And so they just made up this internal audit. Again, all the stuff alleged and all, you know, no one, I, I'm not, I have, I'm not privy to any of it. Well, last, completely coincidentally, last night my wife came home from Costco with a pair of Quicksilver pants that she purchased for me from Costco for $16. Nice. That's made, Andy Mooney for you. Made in China. Hey, it's a distribution channel. Yeah. I, I was made. like, I was like, whoa, that's weird that they're selling this at Costco. How much were they? She's like, $16. I'm like, uh, uh, like on do they have a discount rack at Costco? Like they spell what? Quicksilver with a C. <laughs> Maybe they're not Costco. So uh, that, what does that say about the brand? You know, um, know, here's my question. Oh, by the way, yeah. with news of um, Bob McKnight and Pierre Agnes getting involved at the top level, um, Quicksilver staffers rejoiced. Took to Instagram. Tom Carroll commented on it. Rosie Hodge I saw that. Jake Patterson. Pete Mel said, "Quote: McKnight, Agnes are the hardest working men in the Quicksilver legacy. So stoked to have these guys guys guiding us into the future." So, my question to you, Scott Bass. Yes. Can a non-surfer successfully navigate, negotiate, and run a surf brand? Well, I, I, I think that they can. It depends on what you call a surf brand. A, a great example is Doug Palladini, who is a great executive you know, mind. He was my boss at Surfer Magazine. But quite frankly, he's not a surfer. He would tell you he's a surfer. He owns a surfboard, but he's not a surfer. Who does he work for? He works for Vans. Okay. He's like the executive vice president of marketing or something. He's a pretty big wig, and he really helped turn Vans around. In fact, there was a time when he got laid off and all Doug did, he was unemployed. He put out a newsletter and he sent it to the industry, basically kind of keeping himself involved in the industry. And in the newsletter, as I recall, he basically said, Vans is blowing it. Here's what I would do if I was at Vans. And he just would like stick them hard and he made a lot of sense. And they just go, OK, we, we hired him. Wow. And he and he did a good job. And he's, Interesting he's continued to turn around. He, he's, you know, he he's. You know, he rubs people the wrong way occasionally. You know, he's a little bit edgy. He never looks like he's in a, uh, having a good time or is a happy man, but whatever. Um, I guess so, so my answer is, yeah, I think they can, but I don't think it's a good idea. And, and quite frankly, I don't think Vans is a surf brand. Vans is a skate brand. I mean, But they penetrated the surf market well, very whatever. successfully. I don't, how? Not whatever. Like, that's how, true. How? how? They, sell, how. they sell as much product in Huntington Surf and Sport and all the main retailers right, right. as what are anybody they else. Shoes. Yeah, it doesn't yes. matter what they're well, selling. I don't, need, I don't wear shoes when I go surfing, so it's not a surf brand in my mind. I understand, but they've penetrated the surf market is what I'm sure, saying. Sure, yeah. They sell yeah, as much I, product I, I, to surfing I agree. and the surf I mean, community as anybody else. I'm just saying in my my opinion, it's not a surf brand. I'm not, I agree with you. They sell in surf retail. Sure. I mean, it's, and they, they sell you know candles in surf retail, too. It doesn't mean candles are – so it's just – it's semantics, really, at this point. But – but but Doug's done a great job of of make you know he's pretty much a success everywhere he goes. Yeah, sure. And um, and so, so I guess an MBA type like a Palladini that knows the space can do it. I'm not so sure Andy Mooney even knew the space. I think you're right. I think they brought him in just to be the bad guy for two years. Yeah. Thank you very much. Fire all these friends of mine, and then I'm going to come back in and, mm -hmm. and run the and ship. And you're going to make your 12 million bucks or whatever it is off of it. You yeah. Know? Um. So yeah, I mean, I I think. The the problem and the challenges that we run into with this scenario, because it's come up on this show before, is like the core community 
you have to always cater to this core community and that will give you validation to the broader market. So if you can have validity to the core and then sell billions of widgets to the to the masses, that's kind of the perfect scenario. But once you start selling to the masses, the core then feels alienated and you get into this weird quandary. The problem is the core doesn't buy enough widgets to really support the brand anyways. So you find yourself servicing two masters, both inefficiently and une- you know, and, and that's where we found ourselves, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting, right? It, it seems like the last five, ten years, it's been this, this um, you know, the older brands are sort of trying to figure out what to do. And all these new upstart brands have come on the scene. And some of the older brands like Quicksilver thought Sealtooth or VSTR was an opportunity. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, these things implode and new new stuff comes of it. And, yeah. and that's sort of what's happening. Interesting now. to analyze. Like Captain Finn Company. I mean, there's so many young brands out there that are that are vital, you know, that are that are important to the kids, right. you know. Right. And certainly Quicksilver, you know, like my 16-year-old, he's, you know, he's a pretty good case study. And he's all about, like I said, like Captain Finn Company, Ruka, yeah. um, sort of the ones that you, you know, the, the brands that you would think that he'd be into, you know, the stuff that the, all the kids are into. So the scenario is that Captain Finn develops that core following with your son and whoever else. But how many fins are you going to sell? Because well, he, they do soft goods. I know they do. They've they've. It, that's kind of where I'm going. Is they've expanded. What you have they to. Do. Yeah. But even still, so you can only sell fins to surfers, and there's only a limited number of surfers in the world. You do that really well. You make a few million bucks in profits, and you're showing that. That's when well, the good big money to interest get involved, right? And they come and go. Okay, sweet. We'll invest for you to grow into this soft goods market. Well, then they want to see bigger returns and they want to sell the soft goods in Nordstrom. Well, look, at, at that point, as the head of Captain Finn Company, you've cashed in. So you're you're either in and you're still working for the company, but you've made your money or you're cashed out and you got your money and you're like, good luck with my brand. I'm out of here. So you've already done it. You've already yeah. made your money. So you're kind of good anyway, whatever sure. happens. But the thing that's neat about Captain Finn Company is that they're their roots they're connected via hard goods like you're always right. going to need a fin you know yeah. what i mean like i'm not always going to need their their little t-shirt or whatever it is you know or their art project or whatever the hell it is right but fins i'm going to need forever so they're going to be connected to the surf industry because fins are ubiquitous right they're, they, they they're are forever they are but to really the big moneyed interests there's a glass ceiling on the fin market that is right, below but, what they're interested right in. right and that's fine but like i said if a big money comes to you and goes, hey, we want to blow it up. We think we see potential. You just go, okay, great. Write me a check yeah. and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And and if it doesn't go good, whatever, you're still, you know, you still got your fin company and you yeah. made your money and you're good to go and you're surfing around the world, which is all like, that's sort of like the, the litmus test for are you a surf brand or aren't you? You know, it's like, does the head guy surf and does he want to go surfing every day? And does he look at the buoys and is he on it? And is, is surf, like the way Bob Hurley is, Bob Hurley's looking at the buoys every day. Yeah. Right. Doug Palladini's not. And, and it's nothing against Doug Palladini. It's just that if you're a hardcore surf company, your leader, there needs to be salt in that building that's like that gets it. You know, that that's at the very at the very core. He wants to be in the mentalized surfing. Yeah. Uh, we have to mention in this conversation, Patagonia, you're wearing your Patagonia vest right now. I mean, that's the perfect example of somebody who has navigated um, beautifully, like doing their passion growing the brand, scaling on a reasonable level, 
um, never alienating their core community, but also servicing a larger community as well at the same exact time. Well, and they're private, right? They're not publicly held like Vans and, uh, you know, what's that? Uh, what's the company that owns Vans? It's like VF, oh. VF something or yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm VF not sure. Corp or whatever. But, anyway. but I mean, that's a great example that um, Yvonne Chouinard, you know, just like this infinite passion that is never wavered, wavered from that everybody around him rallies to support basically. Like he's like got orders in the wings and goes, Oh, screw it. I'm going to go climbing for a couple of months. I'm going to let, and he's a hardcore surfer and he has been for 35 or 40 years. Totally. And I'm going to let the business suffer because I want to go pursue my passion, but he has enough people around him who go, you know what? We'll fill in the gaps while you're gone because we believe in what you believe so much. We'll do the extra work. That's what you want. You need to be able to rely on people. They People love passion and they, they'll they drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, yeah. to their own demise, we've seen in Waco, Texas and these other Jonestown. places. Just, yeah, <laughs> just to be a part of somebody who's that passionate, you know? And so you need leaders like that, but I don't know. Well, it's it's certainly, I, I found this topic interesting and, and it's, it's sort, always interesting. sort of fascinating, you know? Yeah. Jumping the shark as a surf company, you know, like when do you get too big? When is it, you know, when do you blow up and, and are no longer valid and, and valuable to kids? Those yeah. people around you could be your shark buoy that alerts you when the shark is coming so that you can jump or shark, not. Shark buoy. Um, so did you hear South African big wave surfers said no thanks to the big wave world tour? I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Pretty interesting, right? Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. Well, the Big Wave World Tour um, has had dungeons on their um, roster in the past, which is a big wave surf spot in South Africa. And this year, the local surfing community in South Africa said, you know what? We don't want you guys to come and bring any attention to this spot. Specifically, Barry Futter is the guy's name. He's the spokesman for the um, basically the local big wave surf scene. And he said... There's not a reliable, open, and clear qualifying system with the Big Wave World Tour. Surfers from the media-centric areas get chosen over really good surfers from more remote areas. This would mean that if the event, um, that in the event of an event happening here, a really good and capable South African surfer may have to sit and watch less capable but more social media popular surfers from a different area ride the waves here. Given that we only get to surf here five or ten times a year, this is a bitter pill to swallow. Even if a South African surfer did well at Dungeons, it seems unlikely that he would get into one of the other major events at other big wave locations like Jaws. We've had some magical days of big wave surfing here recently, and we were once again reminded that what we have got here is absolute paradise, and to to prostitute it for media publicity and no no substantial financial gain... Or one or two people, um, or just the gain of one or two people would be an absolute sin. It is every surfer's dream to be able to surf perfect waves without crowds and a good vibe in the water. We do not want the hype, crowd, or politics that a competition brings, specifically if there is no long-term sustainable reward for anyone involved, end quote. Yeah, I mean, well thought out. You know, I, I, I guess my hats are off to them for sticking to their values and sticking to what they feel is important. And that's surfing the wave when it does break and not having to deal with any of the competitive uh, drama 
you know, that comes with it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, so a couple guys don't get a little bit of a payday and a little bit of notoriety, but so what? That's not why we started surfing here anyway. We we cherish these five to ten days every year, and, you know, it's going to happen with or without you guys, hopefully without you, you yeah. know, and we'll, we'll see you later. Yeah, well. Can you name two big wave Southern South African surfers that have done Grant, well? Grant Baker is the only one I got. Well, the other one I would I think is Chris Burdish. Okay. And know. and he's you know I mean look the the whole big wave world tour thing it's it's sort of on the periphery right it's it's we're not even we're not even sure you know what it is yeah. it, you know unfortunately Mother Nature just doesn't allow for that but um you know here's Chris Burdish I don't know how well he's done here's um, my question to you though how. Is this any different than the Hawaiians saying the same exact thing about the Pipe Masters event? Like, look, you guys come here and basically get the best days of the some of the best days of the season. Don't allow us to compete in this contest. And then you disappear. But if I wanted to come surf in your contest at lowers, you wouldn't allow me to do that. It's the same exact scenario. So why are you and I championing the cause of the little man in South Africa while we're shaming I'm not, the Hawaiians? I'm not shaming the Hawaiians. But those are the approaches that we've kind of taken. When the Hawaii thing comes around, we say, you and I talk on this show and we go, you know what? Just get out of the way. Let us come surf the best. I'm not way. like that. Actually, that's not my take on Hawaii. Okay. My take on Hawaii is if you don't want the pro tour there, then let the pro tour leave. And you guys just surf your waves. And we'll go have the... You know, we'll go have the finals at Chopu or we'll, ha you know, we, we want to be somewhere where we're wanted, you know? Sure. And it'll be unfortunate. You know, certainly there's a ton of professional surfing history and legacy that has happened in Hawaii and we all want it to be there. I mean, the Vans Triple Crown is a huge deal, you yeah. know, um, from a sport standpoint and of course from financially too. But so my thing is, look, if you don't want us here, be careful what you wish for because we'll leave and yeah. we can do this pro tour thing anywhere. Yeah. Like there's plenty of good waves, you know, and yeah, it's not. What's wrong with Tahiti? Let's let's do it at Chopu. Let's have the fi finale at Chopu, right? Which, oh by the way, they got the greatest viewing audience last year on on YouTube. Right. So, again, that's not something I want, but I, I, you know, like I said, I'm of two minds about it. You know, like I fully like when I read that guy's statement. How could you not um, get on board with him and and have sympathy for his cause? But at the same, I guess for them, they don't have as big of a bargaining chip as the local Hawaiians do because Pipeline is a one-of-a-kind wave. You know, and Dungeons, I'm sure it is too, but there's other big waves. It's not like the pinnacle of big wave riding, whereas Pipeline, it is the pinnacle of everything in surfing. So um, I guess it's not kind of an apples-to-apples -apples scenario, but uh, I, I, in general, when that conversation comes around with Pipeline of how many wild cards do you let into the Pipe Masters event, I'm on the side of the WSL and professional surfing where it's like, dude, you don't let any more wild cards in than you would at lowers. Oh, well, I agree with that. I'm not saying the Hawaiian wild card and we need more Hawaiian yeah. wild cards. I'm just saying if you don't want the, the revenue and all the positive stuff that happens sure. from the WSL and the Triple Crown, then we'll leave. And guess what? You'll be crying for us in about three years going, uh, we were mistaken. You know what? We actually yeah. do need you here. And that's part of the bigger conversation is like, I guess what it'll really come down to is um, the what's the surfing community like in South Africa for those guys? Do they have access to the same quality surfboards that we have access to in Southern California? If they don't, why don't they? It's because the market's underdeveloped. It's difficult to ship things there. It's expensive to ship things there. The law, tax laws, all these sort of things. Well, if you want to have the best quality of foam and equipment and wetsuits and all that, you have to start cultivating this for the industry. 
And that's been a problem in Brazil, you know, why why they've had struggles with their infrastructure. And um, that relates to a story that I have as well. Did you read that in the New York Times, that Brazil piece? Let's go ahead and segue into that. Do you want to talk about that? That's let me. um, I mean, yeah, that's I want to say I have some other big wave stuff. Okay, yeah, go for it. Um, actually, it's my Travis Sham mockery. My Travis Sham mockery this week is, um, as you know, today's March 31st, 2015. It's the official uh, event ending uh, the no-go for the, for the waiting period of the Titans of Mavericks is today. Aware. Today it ends, and the, the Travis Sham mockery is uh, the Titans of Mavericks. So, of course, when they first sort of, announced this event it, they said look we're going to have some competitors that we know are going to be in it and then we're going to have some wild cards and you have to go surf mavericks and sort of earn your way and we'll vote on you to see if you're worthy and that caused some problems because it, what it did is it got really crowded all of a sudden you got these hungry young big wave surfers that are like i got to be at mavericks to earn my keep to earn my salt so that i'll get voted on to be one of the titans of mavericks well it got really crowded it, it, it broke in, in mid December, like December 20th, I want to say. It was really good and really packed, super crowded. Right. All the guys had those inflatable vests. There was just a, a ton of water rescue craft in the area. Stand up paddlers and, out there. And, and some of the local guys were saying, hey, look, in the past, Mavericks would take care of itself. If you wiped out, you didn't have a vest. You, you were, you know, run through the rocks. Your board was probably broken. At the very least, your spirit was broken. It might take you another hour just to get the gumption up to paddle back out. Darwinism at its finest. Yeah, and now you've got these guys that are popping their vests, getting picked up by skis, and they're back out there. So the crowd continued to stay pretty thick. Um, on top of that, cartel management, they canceled the fan experience, right? Which was a big deal because this was that offsite event area for people to watch the contests. And perhaps even more importantly, it was a, a place where there was going to be revenues generated for local regional nonprofits like the Boys and Girls Club, which are now some of the people involved there feel like the cartel management hasn't necessarily been authentic or sincere in their efforts to help, as they said they were when they first signed on. Again, that's opinion. I don't know if it's here or there, but we've certainly you and I have read about that. Um, on top of that, cartel management I guess unknowingly during one of the events called the Half Moon Bay locals rednecks right to their faces and not even realizing they were talking to Half Moon Bay locals. Um, so, you know, is this cartel management, is Hollywood sort of big leaking, big leaking um, the Half Moon Bay people? I don't know. However, that's none of those reasons are the real reason that Titans of Mavericks is a Travis Sham mockery. Can't wait for the punchline. What's the real the real reason? reason is that the defending champion isn't even invited to their event. Shut up. Peter Mel is That's the right. defending right. champion, and he's not even he's the defending titan. Yeah, he's almost as synonymous with Mavericks as Jeff Clark. Peter oh, yeah. Mel is like part of the legacy there. Right. To not invite the defending champion is lame with a capital L, and it's a complete Travis Sham mockery. Now, I know that the WSL and Paul Speaker, they lawyered up and they went in and to cartel management and they tried to get it on the Big Wave World Tour and there was some politics and there was some drama. And I'm sure that Paul Speaker and the WSL has a lot of blame here. And I don't know what happened. I just know that they they met, they butted heads and they split. The two sides couldn't come to any sort of agreement. 
But regardless of what happened, event integrity is of you know the utmost importance here. It's it's crucial. Yeah. And to not have the defending champion at the Titans of Mavericks is to have a, the Travis Sham mockery. Now, my question to you, David, is: first of all, do you agree that it's a Travis Sham mockery? Go ahead and say yes. It could easily be confused as a kook. But yes, one or the other. It's if fine. you were a part of this big wave brotherhood, right, this core group of 20 or 30 guys, the Twiggies, the Greg Longs, the Sean Dollars, the Skin Dogs, the Half Moon Bay locals, the Santa Cruz locals, the San Francisco big wave surfers, do you now support this event, an event that is squeezing out the defending champion Peter Mel, one of your own? Or do you just kind of go, oh, well, I need to make a buck, like, if these guys are so strong and such a core group of guys, which they sort of put out this vibe that they sort of take care of their own. Yeah. I mean, they've split prize money at this event. You know, um, which side do you take if you're one of these guys? I definitely do not support the event. And furthermore, if I were to win the event, it wouldn't have the cachet that it ha- would have if I were to dethrone Pete Mel. You know, that's yeah. my that's my approach. I'm calling out the cartel management. They got to move their egos out of the way here, and and Peter Mel has to surf in this event. Or your event is a Travis Sham mockery. But are we looking from the wrong angle? Did they not invite Pete, or was Pete not allowed to participate because he's the big wave World Tour commissioner? No, the, the WSLs put out said thing that said they'd love for Pete to compete. They they want him involved, and I actually I I texted with Pete last night about it because I didn't want to jump the shark here on the, or say the wrong thing here, and, and Pete's bummed. He, oh. want, he wants to be involved. Really? Yeah, he, he's the defending champ. It's BS. Why there's, wouldn't they invite him? Well, there's politics. There's egos. I mean, there's, like I said, the WSL it's just because of butted him. heads with cartel management. They lawyered up. Yeah. Cartel management no. lawyered up, and they both flipped each other off and walked away from the negotiating table. And that left Peter Mel sort of like going, well, my, you know, one of these guys is my employee. Yeah. And, employer. And, employer, excuse me. Yeah. And so... But my point is, all that stuff needs to be pushed to the of side course, because yeah. what's important here is the event itself. Yeah. You cannot have the Titans of Mavericks without the Titan. Well, I'd overlook. He's the Titan, if, for God's sake. If sakes. I was cartel management, I would realize the people that flipped me off were, were Paul Speaker and the WSL, presumably. Um, Pete Mill probably wasn't in that meeting himself flipping them off. Pete Mill is just the innocent It doesn't matter. I, I agree with you. He probably isn't. But at the end of the day, the the... The fans of the sport need to see the Titan. I don't want to go see totally. a heavyweight fight without Mike Tyson. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what happened. I, I'm sure your little ego was bruised, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. You know what? You're having an event at Mavericks. You have to have the defending champion. If you don't, you are not having an event. Right. The event has lost all of its credibility. Yeah. Andy Irons winning a world title without Kelly on tour is one thing. But then when Kelly comes back to like reclaim his throne and you beat Kelly at his own game, that has more cachet. Now, let me say, there could very well be two sides to the coin. Maybe Cartel wants to have him involved. And you know what? Send us an email. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to straighten all this out. We'd love to see the defending champion involved. And I, I got to think in their hearts of hearts, the cartel people want to see it happen too. Uh, you know, unless, like I said, I don't have all sides of the story. I just know what I read online. Makes and better pot if we only have one side. Exactly. <laughs> and we just run a million miles an hour with it. So do you want to talk about the Brazil or the uh, Brazilian Storm article in New York Times then? Since yeah. Since you referenced it? Yeah, go, yeah, that's a great so, idea. So 
basically New York Times in December did an article on Gabriel Medina being the first Brazilian shortboard world champ, surf world champ. Um, and they're kind of doing a follow-up story now. They just dropped last week about the Brazilian storm. So it's not just Gabriel. It's kind of this whole group of surfers. The top top eight surfers at Snapper, four of them were Brazilian surfers, you know? And so they kind of wrote the article under the premise of um, Brazil has more than 4,000 miles of coastline. Brazilians have been surfing since 1964. So why this sudden dominance in the sport is their question. What are your thoughts? Um, well, as I recall, I thought the article was more about sort of what happened was the economy. Yeah, went they were rogue. answering this question. Yeah, why? Why this sudden dominance in the sport after they've been surfing for fifty years? You know, and that's that's why. Yeah, exactly. The basically they talked about the economy's recently improved, the middle class has grown. They also talked about but things are on a downward slide. Yeah, more recently yeah. things are on the downward slide. So it's like they saw this ballooning of the middle class. And um, they they actually talked a little bit about the stereotypes of the Brazilian surfers as they've been able to travel and get support. They show up at lowers, paddle out, and get all the waves, and they're real boisterous behavior. And they said, um, you know, let me let me just chime in and, and I'll throw some stuff out there which sure. may or may not be true, and I'm sure we'll get some insight from from Brazilian listeners. But yeah. basically, you know. The, and again, I speak from a place of uh, I'm not an expert as far as social stratification of Brazil, Brazil's population. But from what I understand, you know, Brazil had a large lower class and a pretty small upper class. And most of the surfers that could travel around the world came from that upper class. You just didn't have the money if you're so you had these sort of already entitled South American machismo rich who would treat probably treat people in their own country that were not of the same social status, probably a little bit like rudely and probably a little bit loud and just sort of kind of had their way with the lower class in their own nation. And so when this elite upper crust Brazilian surfer traveled, he carried that same attitude with him wherever he went. He was like, hey, whatever, you know, you know, don't you know who I am? You know, so he sort of had that entitled vibe. And yeah. um, and you add the sort of machismo hot-blooded, you know, South American male uh, to that equation, to an already elitist mentality. And you've got this, you know, I can take whatever I want and, and I'm going to I'm going to hang out in packs and we're going to, you know, and be loud and rude. And 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 so I think that's the stereotype that that they're fighting. Right. Sure. Because they're not all like that. No. But I think that might be, um, you know, sort of how that manifest was was. That was the original and now we have seed. this right, and now we have this larger middle class right in the last ten or fifteen years, and they've mellowed out a lot. You know, that's because they realize, oh, now a lot more of us can travel, and we need to present ourselves in a different light. And you know, we're not all bad, and then they certainly aren't. There's many really cool Brazilian guys, um, and, and so I don't know. That's sort of. Again, my uninformed One, you know, take on it. I'm not sure if it's uh, just a great pod moment right then. Or yeah. Well, one of the things this article talked about that I referenced with kind of growing South Africa's infrastructure for the surf community was that when the demand for surf gear grew in the 80s, 
Brazil produced a lot of pirated T-shirts, yeah, exactly. board shorts, wetsuits. Yeah. Like, you're more likely to get a pirated Quicksilver shirt there than you were a legit right. one. Quicksilver with a C. Yeah, exactly. And, and so the industry well, here was really well, paranoid about even doing any business down that's there. That's the point. And that little was done by the Brazil government and the people, yeah. the power brokers there, to combat this. And um, so it left, yeah, it left the, the, the industry scorned, and they now don't want to sponsor Brazilian surfers. So there was that that lag time for the community there to get quality equipment, quality whatever, to really support. And then what couple that with what you're talking about when they get on the road and start traveling, they're definitely looked at as a you know second class second class surfing citizen um, coming in. I don't know if they're second class; they're just looked at as like. You know, the, it's it's interesting. Like, there's sort of this ethos or this ethic, I guess, um, at least for California surfers, that we're kind of quiet. We, we don't travel in large packs. We try to do everything kind of on the down low. You know, God forbid we, you know, we show up at Puerto Escondido with seven of us, you know, sure. or, or, you know, and, and they sort of have always been like this roving pack. And mm-hmm. so those two, um, those two ethos, Ethoses, those those two ethics sort of collided yeah. a little bit, you know, the California way to do things and the Brazilian way to do things, and it just they just and, and so of course the media being sort of centered here in California, sure, we sort of looked at it negatively. Here, no matter who you are, what line of work you're in, where in the world you live, if you're used to doing things your way, you're just used to driving the same route route to work every day. You got your coffee in your hand. You pull up at the stoplight. You've done it a million times before. But a lifted truck pulls up next to you with super loud muffler, windows down, and he's blasting music on full blast. And you're looking over at him just going, dude, you're totally upsetting my routine. You have to roll up your window now and like turn your radio up so that you can hear what you want. That's what happens. Anybody would be offended by that. Yeah. Anybody would yeah. around the world no matter what you're doing. Yeah. And that's really what kind of happened with that that cultural surf scene thing, you know? And so not for better or worse, that guy in the lifted truck isn't a bad human being necessarily. Um, but that's just what you got to be sensitive to other people's, I don't know. Yeah, no, you're that right. came before, sure, you know, for sure. So I think that that's what happened, but the, you know, um, I think that there is a lot to be said and we've said a lot about it on this show for the passion that it takes to, to do what they've done to persevere and, and what Silvana Lima is the best, most recent example done traveling around the world, selling all of your goods to finance your trip on the QS to then qualify for the tour, not getting any support. The amount of dedication that that takes really says something that we could now learn from because yeah, we I become complacent. I don't know her situation fiscally, you know, like well, what kind of background she comes from, but I get the sense that she's. She's like a twisted knee away from bankruptcy, you know? That's the vibe I get, that all she needs to do is have a little minor injury, and she's out for two events and, and that, that's flushed that, down the toilet of pro surfing. That was actually her story five years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah she was competing with Stephanie Gilmore for the world title. and she Twisted her knee and became a waitress. Truly. Yeah. And then went back to Brazil, trained jiu-jitsu, like trained all this stuff started from the ground up and now she's here again you know is she marketable in the sense that like would roxy or one of these a rip curl would would, she got that alana vibe at all because i really don't know too much about her definitely not the alana vibe but i mean that's the crux of the question we talk about yes she's highly marketable 
in Brazil specifically to a huge degree. But here's the question is, what, what, inf- what infrastructure do they have there that they could sell to their community and their community would, would prefer to buy the legit version of the shirt versus the pirated version of the shirt for a fraction of the price? That's the crux of the scenario. Yeah. You know, so they need to foster this other uh, way doing of the doing right business. Things. Yeah. It's like really exactly. simple. It's like, how hard is it to just do the right thing? It's very difficult. It's not. Though. No, but it is when you're when you're born in that in that system. It's very difficult. Oh, my God. It's so involved. It's it like, is. It gets and to a point of there's all these fatherless children. Well, here's it does. And they here's, don't have any here's moral the other, fiber. Here's the other problem is that the same month that Gabriel Medina slam dunks it for the country of Brazil and wins the world title, Ricardo dos Santos gets shot in his driveway yeah. by the criminal activity in the yeah. country. So for every slam dunk, you know, there's then an air ball. Yeah. I don't, I'm mixing my analogies now with, but that's a pretty good analogy. Well, that one's on part. I mean, on uh point, but I think that, you know, that that's a, a uphill battle that they're going to have to fight for a long time. There's political corruption. There's all these other things going Just on. Not doing the right thing. Yeah. So uh, mankind, I got, <laughs> I got, I got more on that. That'll arrive in the, uh, closing segment of the show but if you have other segments in between feel free um i think i got one or two other things let me see here bear with me i talked about the surf trip with the playmates right you did oh i know here's an uplifting story let's get it uplifting here a little bit dennis jarvis is in going to be inducted into the South Bay Surfers Walk of Fame the South Bay in Los Angeles the city of Hermosa Beach will induct Spider surf founder and South Bay icon Dennis Jarvis into the Walk of Fame. He goes in along with Chris Barella, Mike Benavides, and Derek Levy. And uh, these four honorees will join fellow inductees and surf legends Greg Knoll, Dewey Weber, Hap Jacobs, Del Vesey, many others on this accomplished list and Walk of Fame. So congratulations to Dennis Jarvis. Well-deserved, a guy that's uh, been in the trenches there in the South Bay for 30, 40 years. I'm a fan of Dennis. I'm a fan of Spider. I love the South Bay surf scene. I was completely unaware that they had a walk of fame. Yeah. They got a walk of fame. What? Where? Uh, is City it, of Hermosa Beach. And it's on like like Huntington Beach. It's, it's in the it's ground. It's on a sidewalk. It's like little emblems. It's on a sidewalk. I don't know. I've never seen it, to I, be no, honest No, I never have either. I'm just happy for Dennis, so I thought I'd bring it up. They do a great... The South Bay... So, I don't know. Listeners probably don't realize... If you if you live outside Southern California, don't South Bay realize. was the first epicenter of the surf industry in Southern California in the fifties and sixties. That's where it was. But also, I don't think people outside realize the cultural diversity between all these little areas of uh, Southern California, but even L.A. itself. You think L.A. and you just have this stereotype of like Hollywood and vegan quinoa and kale eating like you're still talking about lacadia <laughs> <laughs> or there's parts of san diego as well but i mean literally the next city over is watts and yeah. compton you yeah. know and where snoop dogs from yeah. and then right buffered up next to that is this south bay community where there's great surfing happening um not great waves but occasionally good waves and all this stuff that you just mentioned which is a huge part of surfing's legacy yeah Right next to Snoop Dogg. Yeah, the Manhattan Beach Armory. Many a party there. Really? Yeah. Tell me. Oh, just use your imagination. Dewey Weber Longboard Contest, 1983. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of, when we had PT on the show, yeah. you guys are talking about surfing Rincon together. Like, what were you guys doing up there? Oh, uh, we were there for the Groundswell... Um, 
Groundswell puts on this, like, it's not a competition. They call it a um, collaborative event, you know, where you get a team of 10 guys and you all surf together okay. uh, for and try to catch waves together. Like, you, like we were literally had like eight or nine guys on a wave okay. at the same time. And it's just this, they're basically trying to break the whole competitive selfish mold and turn it into, hey, you know what, like, Surfers can be good people, and it's not all about me, 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 take, take, take. So do they clear the lineup for it? No, no, because it's that's not what they want to do. Right, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah no, it's just go surfing at Rincon, but you put on jerseys and you're in this event, and they okay. have heats and stuff like that. Wow. The thing is, is that the local community kind of buys into it anyway, and they're yeah. all a part of it. Like, they're, sure. like, you know, a lot of the local guys, like the pit crew guys, Ted and those guys down there, they, they're all a part of it. You know, it's all, it's all like a kind of a local scene. And is there money involved? Is it no. a charity? Like no, it's, we're trying to raise money for the Groundswell Society, and um, they're the ones that are like beautifying the Rincon area or using yeah. the money to help with like education platforms and stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah. So you and PT just and whoever else just go up there just to. I was on as, a team. Somebody invited me to be on a team, so okay. I was on a team up there and um, the Pacific Beach Surf Shop. Cool surf team. Yeah, cool. And it was really cool. It yeah. was super fun. I had this one wave where nine of the ten guys on my team caught a wave together, and we were, like, passing our hats back and forth and high-fiving each other. And at one point, one of the guys fell off his board, and his board was sort of ghost-riding the wave in front of me. So I picked up the board, put it under my arm, and continued to ride the wave, and there's still, like, six guys on the wave. And um, a few yards down the line, I throw the board that's in my arm down on the a wave and I do a little step off onto that board and then I continue to ride that board the rest of the way. Board transfer. Board transfer. Like Jamie O'Brien at Pipeline. Thank dude. you. That's the phrase I was looking for. And you for. did it successfully? Of, but of course. Have you ever done it before? I don't think I've ever done a board transfer before, no. Dude, Scott Bass, his first board transfer at the age of 65? What? <laughs> 65. Speaking of which, I have breaking Kelly Slater news. Breaking. This just came across the wire. Oh, my gosh. The Dubai United Arab Emirates is uh, the, the city byline here. 11-time world surfing champion Kelly Slater, the latest legendary athlete announced for the inaugural Icons Golf Tournament. Kelly Slater, one of the most popular and skilled surfer, uh, surfers of all time, Slater's 11 ASP World Championships include five consecutive titles. And he has accepted Fred Couples, professional golfer, Fred Couples' invitation to play for Team USA April 22nd through the 24th in Dubai. So Kelly Slater is going to be playing with legendary, uh, legendary professional golfers. And let's see who's on the team. It's going to be Fred Couples, Kelly Slater, Ken Griffey Jr., Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, Ray Allen, and Brett Hull, and Mike Madonna from the NHL. So a bunch of legendary Sweet. sports athletes. So a um, couple notes. Breaking news right here on. The fact that Dumb news can talking. break on this show yeah. indicates that you're reading the internet about golf while we're recording this thing. No, not true. When they hear long silences from Scott Bass, it's because his back is turned to me. My Google um, news. Google alerts. Google alert came through for Kelly Slater. 
Exactly. Just now. So you're looking at Google Alerts while I, you're. I clicked on Kelly Slater alert. Just saying, people can see through your commitment to this show <laughs> with your lack of dukes and kooks and that sort of thing. Oh my um, god! No, but I do have a duke. Well, let's before I don't we get, have a kook. Before we get there, in relation to um, that news specifically and the tie stick news with Kelly, yeah, this all goes to fuel the flame that I've been talking about about Kelly's headspace not being in competition. We saw it with his result in Snapper. We've seen it with the last three world titles that he was fighting his hardest to win and couldn't. He's got other interests Well, now. you know, interestingly, you're right. And, and it sort of, it actually helps Kelly because I think, you know, he's had years where he's like, I wasn't even really going for the world title. And then I had a couple of good results and I realized, oh shit, I'm in this thing. I better do good. And then he like focuses. Yeah. So in a weird way, the lack of focus could help him a little bit here. It, it might. I think this is different completely different but you know look he's got a new brand he's got to he's got to blow that up he's got perps he's got to blow that he's got to do the right thing pr wise so if he is in in like a lackadaisical competitive headspace he's going to continue to do the events and the tour because it makes sense for outer known and for his other interests i believe so he'll, he'll hang in there and he'll hang in there he's making retirement plans is my point and the other point is that Nine out of ten news stories you hear about Kelly Slater over the past three years don't have anything to do with competition. That's the real story. Is that when he when he came up on your Google alerts twice in the last five days, it was for him buying optioning the rights to this book and him playing golf with a no, bunch of No, there's one where he's he's committed to Margaret's River. And, and WSL him, put out a thing. And him said, buying Firewire was the yeah, other one. Yeah. So that's three out of four yeah. that have nothing to do with competition. Going into a competition, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I mean, he's, coming dude, out of he's a gone to it for 20 something years. I mean, he's going to Bells. What do you want to know? Like, yeah, he'll be there. What's his heat? You, what do you want to know that you can't invalidate my point? My I, point is that he's got all these other fires burning. How can you additionally beat Felipe Toledo at what he's doing? You can't, you just can't. So, are you is, calling out Kelly Slater right now? I've been calling him out for years. You're the one <laughs> you hear waving that, the flag. Can't believe this guy's got a Brazilian T-shirt on right now, and he's way, <laughs> and he's like calling you out. I need you to step up and and more power to him. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy watch his documentary. I'm gonna buy whatever surfboard he puts out to try. Like I want to try fan. some of that perps, man. I haven't had the perps yet. Uh, I forgot to tell you, we said that we were gonna drink perps like two shows ago. I went to the market that sold it in Huntington Beach. Yeah, buy me. They don't sell it any longer. Uh-oh. I walked in there and I asked for it and they didn't even know what I was talking about. But I have seen it there in the past. So we do have to track it down. Um, so my question to you is, do you have Kelly Slater on your fantasy team? I do. Did you have him for Snapper? I did. Oh, God. He, he's, he's the, he's the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He holds down the, the team. He's, he's the my, anchor. He's my anchor. Thank you. He's an anchor that's not going to pay dividends, dude. He didn't pay for you at Snapper. And I don't think he is. A I, th- I think I sort of like that he's riding new equipment. He's kind of got a you know laissez-faire. Whatever happens, you know, I'm going to go play golf. I like that. I don't like it when he's in lockdown mode, unless it's like I like it when he's in lockdown mode at Pipe or Chopu. But for yeah. these events, he needs to be sort of carefree. I think you know, and yep. and, and magic could happen. Okay. Well, I would say put your money where your Look, mouth is, but you already did. You I got did. ten bucks riding I got on ten this, bucks so. on it, and and you know, for my money. He's the best surfer in the world. Like, tell me who's going to be doing aerials and events when they're 43 years old. That's not a question of who will do it when they're 40. It's who's the best surfer in the world right now. Kelly Slater. I I want to believe that. I love Kelly so much. Here's the problem. You've got a Brazilian t-shirt on, dude. You don't love... 
here's you're not the, a fan. Here's the problem with that statement. And you've he, got he, Matt Banting on the back of your T-shirt. You've got Brazil <laughs> on the front and Matt Banting on the back, and that number for that he wears during on his heat. I made it a point jersey. to not mention Matt's name this entire show. I, he's even Butter on my cup team. Banting. He's on my team. I didn't even mention his name. Oh god. Uh, so here's the problem with your statement about Kelly Slater being the best surfer in the world. He is the best. It's not. Here's it's, it's the a problem fact. with fact. Refute these facts. He definitely can't do what Felipe did at Snapper. He doesn't even want to. It was like crappy three-foot windswell. Okay, that's fine. I'm just going to lay it out for you. What do you mean? What did Felipe do that Kelly can't do? Tell me that. Uh, Go watch his 10-point ride in the final. Kelly can't do that. Kelly doesn't want to do those little flick turns, man. Kelly's about laying out. (laughs) Okay. Who won Pipeline the last few years? Not Kelly. Not even in the Vulcan Pipe Pro. Who won Chopu last year? Kelly. No, not Kelly. Gabriel Medina won it. I thought it was Kelly and John John going at it. That arguably that was the best heat and I oh, agree yeah. I agree like I enjoyed watching Kelly surf that event more than anything my point is that we have this Jedi mind trap that Kelly's the best he th- surfer in the world he's no longer the best surfer in the world dude. I'm calling BS on that he's no longer is John John smokes him in free surf clips John John competes with him at the biggest best barreling waves in the world Gabriel's now putting in contention in that market too I'm just saying there's more guys now who's the most well-rounded like Felipe's not going to do the same surfing in Chopu that he did at Snapper. Kelly's probably more dominant in a variety of spots. But I'm just saying, the time is coming, dude. It's the changing of the guard. Maybe. Acknowledge it. Whatever. No, I will Acknowledge not. it. No. You know what? Actually, the best surfer in the world is still Tom Curran. So I'm just going to take it at a whole sec- other level. I second that. whole other level. Tom Curran's the best surfer in the world. I second then Kelly. For sure. Um, got a must-see moment. I do. It's... Um, you know, this recent Southwell run that we've had here was huge down in Puerto Escondido. There's a great sequence of Oscar Moncada getting a sick shack at Puerto Escondido, a real clean barrel. Have you ever surfed there? Yeah. How is it? It's insane. It's full-on heavy barrel fest. It looks I so... I got some pics I'll have to show you. It looks so gnarly. It is gnarly. I almost died there. Yeah. I, I mean, I surfed kind of no man's land in Huntington Beach with this last run of Southwell where there's a lot of paddling and all that. And it's like, I get smoked and exhausted and could not imagine surfing Puerto. Giant beach break, rip it's currents. Heavy. Like, it's heavy. You, you go to church. When you go to Puerto, you go to church. Like yeah. you, You're praying. It's yeah. heavy. It looks so gnarly. Yeah. My must-see moment is one of my favorite surfers in recent years who Scott, ba- Scott Bass will never acknowledge because Scott's probably never heard of him because he's not an American surfer. And he's not going for a world title, but his name is Jay Davies. Are you familiar with Jay Davies? I am familiar with Tell Jay me Davies. one thing. Tell me two things about Jay Davies. He spells his name like the guys from the Kinks. Okay. Where is he from? What country is he from? He's from like Queensland or something. Yes. Okay. He's not from Queensland, but he's from WA. Um, but Jay Davies is kind of powerhouse. Looks like a rugby player or a UFC fighter. This real well-built surfer that just surfs incredibly well unsung hero of our sport underrated um i don't think he's an unsung hero unsung hero why what does he do that's like what's so heroic what does he do he does bottom turns top surfs turns gets two. beautifully so and what, brings joy people, into my life a million people surf good i mean like are we all unsung heroes no 
I, I would say he brings the type of joy in my life that Tom Curran does. And you sing Tom Curran's praises because he's blue-blooded, blue-eyed American boy. I'm saying Jay Davies is the same thing, but this um, guy that Jay just Jay Davies does, is not Tom Curran. Okay? He's Let's not Tom Curran, but he brings the same joy into my life. So my point is that <laughs> you don't no you don't show any acknowledgement. Anyways, Jay Davies at P Pass is my must-see moment. That's this, a sick barrel. I this did video, see that. this video came out. That. It's a full clip. Yeah. put out by Ruka, Jay Davies, yeah. recent sponsor. And Jay Davies just surfs so beautifully, powerfully at this super powerful that's, that's reef easy, pass that's wave. That's an easy wave to ride. And we don't... I've surfed there. We, it's, it's like drop in, get tubed. It's not that hard. Oh, my it's, God. It you cannot acknowledge anything. No, I'm, I, it's a sick clip. I love P-Pass, it's, but it's it's pretty like roll in. It's a roll in drop, and you just set up. It's like you can't not get barreled there. Like there's only one thing to do. Yeah, well, here's what I love about it is that for musty moments, we throw these off the wall stuff that sometimes aren't surf videos. This is a classic two and a half minute surf video clip, slow motion, a guy getting barreled, and I was mesmerized by it. You know, we've seen it a million times before, and it was like, holy crap, that was, you must see. You got to watch it. Every once in a while, you got to watch that stuff. All right. Who's your Duke and Coop? You know, my Duke, I've, you can see I have written it's Oscar. Oh. Mancata. So from the Porta. same exact thing as your musty <laughs> yeah. moment? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who came unprepared to today's show? I'm so prepared. Look how many notes I have. I've got pages of notes here, dude. All they want, even... all the people want is Duke and Coop. You know who I think your Duke should be? That guy. What's who, his name again? Uh, JDN Photography. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, At JDN Photography on Instagram. Yeah, he's a great photographer. And his, uh, I, Why is, is he it the Jason? Duke? No, it's uh, Jonathan. Jonathan Nemerhoff, right? Nemerfro. Nemerfro, yeah. Yeah. Why is he the Duke, Scott? He was very uh, generous and sent David and I uh, a couple of prints of those slurpy frozen slush waves up in, is it Maine? Nantucket. Nantucket. It's so, they're such great prints. And thank you so much, John, Jonathan. It's, we talked about these images we, on the show. Really um, appreciate it. That went viral and they covered Jonathan on Good Morning America and New York Times did a story about Jonathan. And um, he's a listener of the show. We talked about these images and how rad they were. And he was kind enough to print a few and send them our way. So Scott was pointing out that this may be the first payment we've received for this collaborative podcast effort. That's right. Which is pretty rad. So thank you for that. JDN Photography on Instagram if you want to follow. Um, my Duke is Mason Ho. That's a good one. I, he's on my fantasy team. Is I put he? him on there. I figured that. And there's truly a wild card. Mason is truly a wild card. Always. Yeah. So the reason why Mason's my Duke is for multiple reasons. He was recently added. He got sponsored by Rip Curl, basically. Yeah. Reportedly, he's getting 200K a year from Rip Curl. Yeah. That's nothing to sneeze at. No. Good for and him. I'm, I'm glad for him. I'm Ma stoked for him. Mason's consistently provided entertaining content for us for like years now. And I feel like he's probably been underpaid and he didn't care. I mean, he just loves having fun and surfing, but he puts out interesting clips all the time, seems to have more fun than anybody. And um, thankfully, Rip Curl picked him up and now he'll be able to travel the world. He's I mean, kind of like this generation's Pat O'Connell. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Completely. He's just like super happy-go-lucky and he absolutely rips. But we've only really seen clips of him from, like, Hawaii. I mean, 9 out of 10 of his clips are from Hawaii. I've never seen him in a full suit in my life. No. <laughs> it's going to be so interesting. He's he's done some stuff in Western Australia, and he talks very highly of Western Australia and the Gold Coast. Yeah. So I think I'm excited for this relationship because I think now we'll get to see more of Mason in a wider variety of places. 
But the additional, so he's also entered into the Bells event as a wild card based on this new relationship with Rip Curl. Um, I don't think he's going to do well personally at Bells. I think he's going to get smashed. He's going to go up against the top seeds. He, he can't even make it through round two of QS events, you know, other than in Hawaii. So I don't think he's going to do well in a competitive realm. But one thing, I, another thing I loved is um, once he got that sticker on the nose of his board, he recorded a little video and put it out on Vimeo. It's YouTube footage of him surfing on the North Shore. I don't know what the spots are that he surfs, but he's put out a lot of other videos over the years of him surfing this barrel. It's like waist, you know, three to four foot barrel right in front of rocks, like uh, lava rock that's out. It's probably Rocky Rites, or maybe it's like Val's Reef or something. It looks like the rocks are like pointy and jagged. It's not like a flat rock reef you know it's Mm. like rocks sticking up three feet out of the water but he'll get shacked right in front of these things and sometimes pull through the back of the wave to get out of the way or you know turn and and jump off his board right in front of him it looks really death-defying and dangerous and we've always seen these videos but he just put out a new video from the gopro angle and it's freaking radical it's him in the barrel these tiny barrels and you see a rock outside the barrel and he's just going straight for the thing he could make the barrel and hit the rocks, but he'll usually pull out the back Sean Thompson style at the last second. Huh. Or he'll do a massive air and land right in front of it and then just like jump off into the back of the wave. It's really, really radical. It's a three-minute video of all these GoPro angles. Um, I'll post it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then my Mason moment is the last 30 seconds of the video. He attaches the GoPro to his art remote control truck and goes off jumps. <laughs> <laughs> but of course we've got to have remote control truck. So Bruce like, Irons is jealous. And we have, so it's like three minutes of him getting barreled, fade to black, cut to remote RC car tr- jumping over <laughs> with no explanation. You're just all of a sudden going off a jump in the RC car. Going, that is epic. What the heck? That's purely Mason at his finest. Right Mason, there. dude, he's quite the an best. editor. So, um, I've got a kook as well. <sighs> My kook is Ricardo Toledo, Felipe Toledo's father. Did you see this news story? I saw some chatter about his dad online somewhere, but I didn't read it. Our beloved Beach Grit. That's where I saw it. <laughs> I, I try not. I feel dirty when I read Beach Grit. I don't. I try not to read it. It's like. Well, this one's pretty sensational. It's um. It Chas Smith found an Instagram. <laughs> He's reaching. You love it. He's reaching. No, No, he's he's reaching and reaching back a year and a half. This Instagram was posted 93 weeks ago. Oh, my God. But but I'm bringing it up for a reason. Uh, It's an Instagram of Ricardo Toledo posted on his own feed wearing this Speedo, like a booty short Speedo. So it's not the actual like thong style Speedo. But he's wearing this Speedo on a stand up paddleboard somewhere in the South Pacific it's a water shot kind of from the shoulder angle showing a close-up of Ricardo wearing this Speedo. And Ricardo is basically calling out Alex Gray in the caption. And he says, Alex Gay, dot, 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 sorry, Gray, makes a bunch of gay innuendo towards Alex Gray, calling him out saying, hey, I know you want a piece of this, but sorry, I won't give it to you. Uh, My wife wouldn't like it. Go F yourself to Alex Gray. So I don't know what the beef was between Alex Gray and uh, Felipe Toledo's dad, but pretty poor form 
to post it on Instagram and call him out. I don't think Alex even chimed in on the topic, but really poor form from Felipe's dad. And um, and I think poor form on my behalf for even calling him out on it. It's kind of doing the same thing. He's blasting somebody. Just don't wear Speedos. I mean, he, he's blasting simple. somebody publicly. I'm now blasting somebody publicly. But what I the reason why I bring it up is like, this is what we've got from Brazil. This is the stereotype that they are fighting of going out there and doing these really boisterous, pointing the finger at other people, shaming other people. And um, and I think that he's just feeding into this stereotype. The stereotype exists for a reason. You're being loud and obnoxious. We saw him last year at the Snapper event in waist-high water, shouting at Felipe to catch a wave in the dying moments. You know, he's the the example of the um, sideline dad or the sideline parent at the soccer game calling their kid an idiot for not catching the set wave or whatever. He's exemplified that behavior. So great. Felipe's got the talent and Felipe delivered on that talent this year at Snapper, but it's also going to be what unsettles Felipe, possibly at Bells or elsewhere, where it's like, He's got a lot of talent, but you've got to nurture that talent. You can't beat that talent into the championship, you know, arena. Or you can, but only for so long. It's going to also create um, rebellion, stress, backlash, stresses. That whipping creates a stress fracture that will eventually crumble. <laughs> and so, so this um, that is Ricardo's approach that we've seen time and time again, and. You know, I tie that into the Instagram kind of in a roundabout way, but I, All right. I'm saying pay attention to it. <laughs> All right. We're going to watch him self-destruct. We're going to go, look, you called it. Yeah, right. You won't acknowledge it I when will. it happens. No, Just like you won't acknowledge banting, making a Buttercup? Round. Exactly. Buttercup banting. Exactly. Who You know who called him that? Chaz Smith. I got that from Chaz Smith. The no, term it was Ross Williams. Buttercup? You got it from Chaz because Ross Williams during the oh, during butter. the event was saying... That's oh, a buttercup that term. Ex- no, the, the air reverse was so buttery. That thing was buttercup. Uh, it, was a, it was a Ross Williams thing. Oh, it was a term of endearment. I took it as a... Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then Chaz ran with it when he was recounting the event. By the way, one thing I've never pointed out is that I talk about the club sandwich turn. Derek Riley actually is the one that coined that term when Josh Kerr did it against Mick Fanning and then he was interviewing Josh Kerr after the event and goes, Oh, that had everything in it. It was like a club sandwich, you know? And Josh Kerr laughed about it and was like, Oh, I was just going to call it an under the lip reverse rail grab thingy. And then Riley's like, no way. Call it a club sandwich turn. You know? No, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Good. I so I just sit here and pour my heart and passion into these things. I, these really <laughs> well researched and you sit there and write them off like, Oh, yeah, right. That'll never come to fruition. <laughs> well, if it ever comes to fruition, then I'll give you a pat on the back. And then yeah. it happens two years later, and I still don't get my pat on the back. Dude, Buttercup, he's made the CT. Let's watch him wallow it around 27 or 28, whatever it's going to be. Watch. I Felipe. might have him on my fantasy team. You don't even know. So. Watch Felipe self-destruct. Everybody's so hyped on him. He's going to self-destruct. And I'll say, these are the reasons. It was poor parenting. okay fair enough well we have got to run um is that everything it's everything dude well yeah yeah it's everything i've spoken we've tried to create a fun uh light-hearted podcast here today don't take anything we've said too seriously it's all just uh david and i riffing my heart is 100 percent in it take it super serious everything is alleged 
Anything we said is alleged. Did you get a cease and desist letter or something that you're no, not telling me about? I no. feel like you're now like tiptoeing through the show. No, no, I'll say everything, but I just got to like we've got to throw these caveats on top of it yeah. so that. Uh, but um, yeah, so if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can reach David. His email's hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. He just put out a great podcast, an interview with Tom Carroll that you're going to want to check out. Hey, thanks, man. And um, my email, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. And you can find the show there, downthelineradio.com. Downthelineradio.com is where I post the show. Surf Splendor Podcast is where David distributes the show we need to start hyping the boardroom show too because that's coming up hot. i know in fact I, I will say this that randy rarick's coming out to do antique roadshow style um collectible surfboard appraisals so if you have some old surfboards or some memorabilia and you want expert professional appraisal come out um, randy rarick will be doing appraisals at the show and uh, the other thing that i want to mention real quick is the Crafts Women of Surf Shaping Exhibition. I've got four women already lined up for this. These women are great shapers. Uh, Valerie Duprat, Christine Brailsford Caro, uh, Whitney um, Lang, and um, who am I? Missing? Oh, Kelly Connolly. Mm-hmm. So those four and. Um, and what we'll do is the next show we'll do quite a rundown on the boardroom. Let's get sounds into, good. Let's get into the whole schedule. Because there's a lot of work that's gone into it, and um, some exciting things happening, and we really haven't given it its due. Quite Believe yet. me, normally I'm self-promoting the living crap out of it. So we'll we'll do a show involving. Well, did you come up with this uh, craftswoman concept yeah. after you slandered female surfing last no, show, and I now did. you feel the need to I redeem have, yourself? I have never slandered female surfing. He's wearing his I hate his no ma'am t-shirt that he got from <laughs> No ma'am. No ma'am t-shirt that he got from Married with Children back in the nineties. I'm, I'm getting a no ma'am t-shirt just because I think that would be the best t-shirt ever, so I'm gonna definitely get one. No ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, until next time, uh, for David, this is Scott Singh. Adios and aloha. Right. Right on. Thanks, Scott Bass. Thanks, listeners. So, I said in the intro, I'm watching the Bells Beach event, round one, heat two. Um, It was at the beginning of that heat. I'm actually watching it still. And um, that heat just wrapped. And Brett Simpson, with a come-from-behind victory in the final seconds, I guess, took down Adriano. But the cameras did not, I don't know if they didn't catch it, but they panned away and they went to commercial. We came back from commercial thinking Adriano won. He's signing autographs on the beach. And then the commentary booth says, yeah, Sippo got a a wave in the dying seconds and it looks like the score is coming in. And what do you know? The score is enough for him to move into the lead. So um, I hate to always point out the failures of the WSL, but I mean, this is going to be a slow event. Not a lot of uh, swell. The waves themselves are just, it's kind of a slow wave, Bells Beach. We had a really exciting moment right there that just happened, and it was completely not captured and not capitalized on by the uh, production team. 
So that's a bummer. But bravo to Brett. I was saying in this episode that uh, Matt Wilkinson generally has one event a year that he does really well at, and and that was Snapper this year. We'll see if he does well again. But the same could be said for Sippo. He doesn't really seem to make the quarters, but there'll be a, an event that he makes it through to round five on. And uh, I think this wave and this style suits him very well. And he made it out of round one, which we don't see too often. So hopefully this could be Sippo's uh, event, and maybe it'll even build momentum for him going into the rest of the year. That'd be rad. So I'm a Sippo fan. All right, well, that's it for today's show. Uh, Again, surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you go to see all of the things, uh, videos, photos, links to all the articles that we discussed in this show. And um, then social media, of course, at Surf Splendor on Instagram, Twitter, and then find us on Facebook. And lastly, rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps the show to grow. That helps other people to find it. We produce the content, but we rely on you to disseminate it and spread the seed. All right? Thanks for doing that. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode. I'm actually uh, I'm actually talking with the CEO of Matus Wetsuits. And it's it's a really interesting conversation. It's certainly about wetsuits, but really we're talking about business and growing a business, trying to run a business in Southern California, growing a small business, capitalization, branding, marketing, all that stuff, which I think Matus has done incredibly well. So look forward to that conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, that'll go up at the beginning of next week in about seven days. All right? Enjoy Bells Beach. Talk to you then. In the meantime, shred on.